Du lytter til en podcast fra Free Observer. Du kan se videoversionen af denne podcast på freeobserver.org. Free Observer er til dig, som ønsker en ærlig, åbensindet og undersøgende medieplatform, uden tabuer og uden anden dagsorden end uafhængig videnskab og fri debat. Vi tilstræber at skabe dialog om menneskelige og samfundsmæssige forhold og give plads til magtanalyse og magtkritik. God fornøjelse. Today, Ole Bjerg, who is associate professor at Copenhagen Business School, um, teaching a course which I, by the title, find arguably the most interesting sounding course I've probably ever come across, which is management, uh, politics and philosophy. Um, and Ole covers... That's both... our department, I have to say. Oh, is it a department? Yeah, this is our department. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, And you teach everything from uh, macroeconomics, uh, the theory of an understanding of money, uh, to sociology and philosophy. Uh, so you span very widely. And usually when we talk, uh, they tend to develop into sort of very easily two, three hour conversations when we just call to say, hello, how are you? And with that, I'd like to welcome you all to the, uh, to the program. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, i didn't have an agenda for this interview, precisely because um, things just take, tend to take a life of their own. So we've got a number of subjects that we'll cover over a, a series of different um, conversations that we're going to have. One of them is going to be on the uh, economics front and, and especially central banking um, uh, role and the role of money. But, uh, but that's, uh, that's for the next one. On this one here, I'd like to take more of a philosophical view on a couple of crucial concepts that I think have um, really come alive again with what's going on in the world. Uh, and with that, I mean uh, corona, corona and all its, its uh, different manifestations. And it's the concept of liberty and freedom. And this is something I think um, that has been almost largely neglected or taken for granted for so long. So we've stopped thinking about what these terms mean. So. I would like to take these up and turn them around and investigate them and put them in the context, as I said, of what's going on in the world. But perhaps before that, can you give us your view on what the, the big picture, the macro picture of what's going on in, 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 in freedom terms in the world? Are there, are there concerns we should have? I was actually, as you were, starting to pose that question, I kind of, my head sort of went the other way around that I wanted to just start here with me. So yeah. uh, so if you will allow that, that's kind of my spontaneous reaction is that one of the things I've discovered uh, with myself is how I think I'm used to kind of thinking of freedom as something that, so we need to develop a free society and we need to develop these institutions that kind of create freedom and give us freedom. Uh -huh. mm, and while I still think that's important, one uh, something that I've discovered is that freedom is also, and maybe primarily something you take, or let me put it differently, it's something you have, and then it's up to you to take it or make it alive so it's not something someone else can give you you kind of need to take it inside yourself 
And in Danish, we have this word, fritale. Yeah. Free, free is free, obviously, and tail is to take. Mm -hmm. So you can be fritale. Mm -hmm. uh, there's something that I've been thinking about that. Um, and it's, it's also something in terms of, you know, like some people wear the mask, but you can also be fritale from wearing the mask. By, and, and I kind of think that's kind of like you take the freedom to decide whether you want to make take the uh, take the mask <laughs> wear the mask so this and I and I think that's something we maybe I think also we've been so used to in the Western world we've been so used to institutions taking care of our freedoms but now it's kind of come back to us each and every one of us individually have to take our own freedom. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of my, yeah, it's my personal experience, but I, it's also something, so you ask what's going on in the world. I think that's one of the things that's going on. I agree. I, 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 I actually have very much the same kind of, let's call it insight or reflection that freedom has always been something we thought would be granted to us. Something that an institution provides via laws. And then I started thinking about it and I turned it a little bit on its head and went, no, institutions don't give us freedom. They restrict and permit certain freedoms. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this, this relates to some more fundamental things that I think we should talk about, but perhaps a little bit later on, which is, you know, this notion of positive and negative freedom, which, is, which has been a, a concept that was debated, particularly at the beginning of the century with Isaiah Berlin. But let's, let's park that for now. But I think that's very, very relevant. But after a while, I started thinking, well, is freedom something that exists and different freedoms exist within different societies? Or is freedom just something fundamental and different societies encourage certain things that makes you appreciate certain freedoms over others? Or is it that certain or different societies just have different restrictions? But actually it's up to us, irrespective of whether these restrictions or encouragements are in place to claim that freedom. We have to we have to take it upon ourselves to be aware of the freedom that, that we have within us and that we want to enact and live out. Mm. And I find that a completely different um, notion than this relationship with the state. I mean, the state can do whatever it wants, but my freedom, my sovereignty remains intact. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I think there's also there's a another concept that's closely related to this discussion is exactly what you bring up sovereignty, yeah. uh, which is also something I like. Or there's something about this being sovereign, like being 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 in charge of your own being, so to yeah. speak. Um, um, and I think that's 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 also something that I think is kind of at stake today i think it's at stake in terms of what does it mean for me to be a sovereign being uh, myself 
But also sovereignty, of course, is also something we talk about in terms of countries. Like, do you have a sovereign country, mm-hmm. a, a, a country that's able to govern itself? And one of the things that kind of strikes me with the, the current situation is that it's very unclear for me to understand or see who is actually governing at the moment. Who's making decisions? Uh, where do they come from? Yes, I can hear my our prime minister saying it or our health minister or something. But when I listen to them, I, I'm not sure that... Uh, I don't know if they are speaking. And, and when I look at them, I don't get the sense that here I am looking at a sovereign person. Absolutely. And, 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 when, and, and what, what that means to me is that then I don't trust them. Mm-hmm. Or I don't trust that what they're saying is actually something that is coming from them. It seems to be coming from elsewhere. So, um, which, and I don't know where that elsewhere is. I don't know what that is. But I do know that one of the things I hope uh, and trust that will come out of this is that just like we're sort of rediscovering things about freedom and liberty, I think we're also disco- rediscovering things around sovereignty, uh, things that we may have forgotten in a sense, or we may have taken for granted. Or yeah. I think to, almost to an extent, we've been lost in this, um, having had so many generations that almost now consider themselves citizens before individuals. And I don't mean this in a sort of egotistical individual, the way it's always been conceived, but, and this comes back to, to, to freedoms and rights as well. Um, rights under the law and rights under what you would call natural law. You know, what you, mm-hmm. what you call human rights laws. But we still think of human rights laws as something legislated. They only really exist to the extent that there's an authority, i.e. Uh, a court of some sort, which is composed of judges. And of course, they can always be superseded by other judges or if if changes are made or amendments are made to those laws but we still think about these laws however fundamental we run around and say that they are we only think of them as having being endowed with any kind of power because there's a court system behind it and one court system is Mm. above the, the the other i mean this is absurd because human rights as i see it are natural rights there's something that can never irrespective of whatever the hierarchy of the court system or the judge can ever be um, in any way impounded upon. And so this is, this. The, I, I feel that we've ended up in a situation again, where we sort of feel, and, and, and I think the government certainly are thinking about people in this way as primarily citizens and then secondary individuals, souls, whatever you want to call it, spirits in, mm. endowed with a sovereign being. And I use that word being. I know you, you, you study Heidegger a lot, so you know everything about being and becoming. But, uh, but, but these are sovereign beings. Mm. And the l- degree to which you can encroach upon their natural laws or freedoms is it, it should be very circumscribed. I mean, that's the point of a constitution, for example, in, in, in legal terms. Does that? I think, yeah, 
Ja, ja, ja. Um, I will say I just like a disclaimer. Some of these things or thoughts are actually quite new to me in a way. It's something that I haven't been thinking about. It's not like I've been thinking about it for many years. It's something quite recent. So therefore, it's also for me a little bit sort of, yeah, still I'm trying to figure this out. And because I think we all I am. I will. Yeah. yeah. And because on the one hand, I am actually... I am in favor of the rule of law. I think we should have laws and I think, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. But I also think that um, we should also think of, at the same time, we should also have the sense that freedom is also, it's, maybe it's also a state of mind or maybe it's first and foremost a state of mind uh, and then when you when you when you kind of have that idea incorporated into you, then it's fine to have laws. But if but sometimes we can maybe maybe and maybe we've done that. Maybe we've kind of built institutions that kind of made us forget, or sort of just like if if you have a muscle that you never train, then it, it becomes weak, and and at some point maybe it will start hurting or something. Very maybe good analogy. Yeah. Yeah, that's maybe what's happening to our liberty muscle. Mm. It hasn't really been trained for a very long time. It's been pacified. And, yeah, it's been pacified by like all of these. Now nah, maybe I'm going too far into this analogy, but I kind of sometimes if you have something in your body where there's a muscle you're not using, then the other other muscles around it are sort of compensating for that, right? Yeah. So, or or you maybe using the wrong muscles, and I think that's also what's happening here. We're using the laws and the institutions. They kind of they, of course, they should be there, but sometimes we're kind of using them for the wrong things. So, and sometimes maybe we should kind of let the let the liberty muscle do some of the work instead. Um, but so that's it's, true. I mean, it's a it's a very nice way of, of thinking about it. When you have an injury, then uh, you you typically end up exacerbating it because you compensate by other things, but it distorts your positioning or whatever. And that's. Mm -hmm. uh, that's perhaps exactly like you say is is what's been happening. We've we've lived in in such a enduring peaceful long period of time with prosperity and progress and so on mm. that we've um, we've failed to kind of engage with these big issues and understand. And we and because we've grown up for so many generations, as I was saying before, in in society. And that society, uh, rightly or wrongly, um, is forever increasing in its presence in our lives. I mean, I heard you and, and, and your colleague Rasmus in, in, in your latest podcast talk about, for example, um, the healthcare services. I mean, this is particularly true in Denmark, but in most yeah. countries where you have a national health service. And, uh, and it's effectively... Well, I know doctors are privately employed, but it's it's largely a state-owned enterprise, and who directs it? We have the same with with uh, money and allocation of money in this, and taxes and so on and so forth. So it it interferes more in our lives. Um, yeah, and I think what what happens when 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 the when the state kind of takes care of so many. But may not, not necessarily just the state, could also be various kinds of corporations. I think some, it, 
that's not necessarily, but when we have these big institutions that kind of take care of all these things, mm -hmm. then, then we also, that it also means that gradually we're also depositing the responsibility, the ultimate responsibility for these things with the state or with big corporations. And, 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 and it, this is one of the examples as you brought up is health, like who's in charge, who has the responsibility for my body? And then ultimately you, you would say I have, but then at the same time, well, if I get, I sometimes hear people sort of complaining, oh, I have this disease, the state will not cure it. They are, it's, and this, and I'm kind of thinking, hmm, how does that work out? Or, and also even mm, now with the Corona, we're talking very little with, with, with this Corona thing. We, we, what we're talking about is how can we bring about, how can we do something so that the state can solve this issue, uh, can react to this. So we need to develop vaccinations, we need to test, we need to all this. Whereas you could all go the other way around and say, how can we empower people to take care and take responsibility for their own health? How can we how can we educate them on vitamins? How can we, you know, like all the kind of things you can do to improve your health? Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't want to turn it into uh, obviously a health discussion on Corona, but just on that note, I mean, it's, I'm glad you said, because I did an interview with a, an Indian uh, doctor, which is coming out in the next week. And it's fascinating. I mean, he, he looks at virtually all the, um, the, the, the very severe uh, illnesses that we that are typically lifestyle related. So whether they're diabetes, hypertension, various lung and cardiovascular, um, uh, also Alzheimer's and things like that. And he's found out, which is no great secret, I suppose, that um, you know the medical industry has been focused on, on, on treatments to according to symptoms and treating the symptoms, whereas. When he found out that if you if you rewind the clock and go back to people's diets and they take responsibility for how they live their lives rather than allocate and surrender that responsibility to the state once the illness occurs. Mm. And I think there is a lesson in that, which is why I mention it, even though I don't want to yeah. talk about health and corona in, in this particular context, only in, in the context of liberty and freedom. But But there is this notion that I, I don't have necessarily this um, autonomous sovereignty to think about my own life as something for which I am responsible for, mm -hmm. for the entire life of myself. And hence, mm -hmm. once he changed it, so the, the, the happy part of this story is that once he, once he changed the diets of these people, uh, you know, nothing, nothing extraordinary. He just got them off processed food, sugar, and so on and so forth, and made them eat lots of vegetables. They completely changed. Yeah. And once you teach people to do this, then you will do away with a huge amount of fabric of society, which needs mm -hmm. funding, caretaking, and which can then be used in circumstances like we have to do it today to mm -hmm. fundamentally encroach on people's lives in the name and of And I think so, yes. Uh, and I think for me, that's also another side of this idea of sovereignty. One, the one side of it is, is I have the responsibility to 
take care of myself or yeah but i also have the resources to do it and that i and, I, and that's also something that i've become very interested in i think that in our society there's a tendency for us to overlook a lot of resources like for instance in health like the body has so much so many potentials for actually taking care of itself if we only allow it to stimulate it but the way that modern health works is that it kind of it kind of looks at the body as and i'm generalizing here i know it's not that simple but it kind of looks as the body first and foremost as a problem so 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 what we need to do we need to go to war with the body right mm. and and if i have if if i were to take this i see some of the same things i'm thinking about so my my profession is i'm a teacher right so i i teach young students and one of the things i've been thinking about is where is actually the place in the at the university or in other educational institutions where is the place for people's personal experiences mm -hmm. it, and in many ways there isn't it's like mm -hmm. what we do is we need to it's very we we, we kind of tell them yes well the first thing you need to do is your common sense personal experience of the world you need to take that and put it aside mm -hmm. and then once you've done that then we will teach you these other methods of these scientific methods academic methods of seeing the world experiencing the world generating new knowledge and then you work with that so there's a discon discontinuity between those two whereas and it's a little bit like with health like put yes now we will sedate the body put all these natural functions to rest and then we will inject all kinds of weird chemicals into it and then good things will happen uh, so and what i am thinking about whether it would be possible to do with in terms of education is to to a large extent sort of bridge that or invite their personal experiences of life and the world into and say how do you see this or what this what's what do you experience here what are we seeing here and what do you sense here and and then kind of built on that in a way rather than saying we need to put it aside um, so and also i think one of the things that's happened in in my field philosophy and sociology in in some areas at least is that common sense has just been completely abolished like we have these weird theories uh, like so my one of my fields is i just written a book as you know uh, about uh, well, you've written a, a few of them i've written a few but i've written most recently i've written a book called the meaning of being a man which mm -hmm. is about being a man and in that field in that field of gender studies there are these theories that are completely disconnected from any kind of common sense and they're only possible if you can train people to first take their common sense, put it aside, and then put something else in there. So I think what we need to, or what would be nice or beneficial, just like in health, if we could, if, if, if we were all better to kind of like just use the resources, our natural resources for regeneration and so forth, I think that we could also, I think we have a lot of, undiscovered or untapped potentials for gaining knowledge about the world that we're not utilizing. 
Absolutely. Using I mean, sort of artificial methods instead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, 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 there are three great themes in everything that you've just said that I want to try and, and draw together. So one thing is precisely education and health. So the way we're being treated at the moment is as if everybody is a walking virus spreader. So this, I see this as a little bit like sort of medieval Catholic sin. Everybody is allocated as sinful and dangerous and you have to pay your penance. And maybe, maybe in due course, I think it actually exists, your absolution or your indulgence uh, is to take the vaccine, of course, or wear triple layers of masks. And that way you've kind of bought yourself uh, a degree of uh, a right to a freedom that's, uh, that, that they have taken away from you. Whether it makes any medical, I don't want to get into that, but I mean, there's plenty of studies regarding that, whether it makes any medical And there's something sense. in that that also reminds me of something else, like we've, in recent years, there's also been this idea of structural racism. Mm -hmm. So just like with the corona, everyone is, the, the assumption is everyone is sick. Structurally. Until, yeah, you're structurally sick. And then maybe you can take a test and then for whatever, a few hours after you've taken the test, then maybe you can think of yourself as being non-sick. You, 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 you have a temporary freedom. Yeah, yeah, you have a small and, bit. And what a moral clearance. Yes, what is it? Is it, <laughs> is it 48 hours or something? If you want to take a plane, you can die. You need to, you have to have a test within the last 48 hours. So, so it's like you get a test and then you can be non-sick for 48 hours and then you go back to being sick. And it's the same thing with racism, at least if you buy into some of these ideas that mm -hmm. you're structured, we're all racists just by being, I'm a racist. And then maybe I can do something. Maybe I can, whatever, do some sort of uh, admit my guilt or something. And then I can be absolved for, but not for a very long time, maybe only for 48 hours or something. If you, and then if, I you make, if you make 10 posts, you know, admitting your yeah. sinfulness, yeah. you're, you're momentarily you abdicating yeah. yourself. And but you I, I see this in, it's a very, it's almost religious. You know, I, I spoke to Ibn Tranholm, who I'm sure you, you know about, uh, the theologian, and we talked about this issue. And I, I see, I now suddenly see the parallels. Of course, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And, and what was uh, then, you know, whether it was Jews or bourgeois, uh, you know, uh, imminent terrorist undermining, you know, the, the great communist truth, whatever it is, or, or, or the sinner in, 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 in under Catholicism, wh whatever it is, it's, it's, it's the same playbook being repeated. Mm -hmm. And you even have all the concepts of indulgences, you know, yeah. and so on. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is it, like the good thing about this is that it gives you something to do. I mean, be, being, being non-sick in this in, is hard work. You have to take the tests all the time. You have to trace all this. You have to put on three masks. You have to do all, so you're kind of busy. And it's the same if you want to be a non-racist, you also have to be busy all the time. It sort of keeps you preoccupied. And you can, we could go on with the, this like other, spheres where, where a similar dynamic plays out so it's just it's like hard work doing this and i think it's i mean 
the same way uh, uh, Catholicism could was also in some respects like would keep people busy not being guilty it's right? as if you're in and, some sort of uh, quasi-permanent repeated purgatory do, do, do you see what I mean you mm, you're sort yeah. of you're in this in-between state all the time and and on top so mm. not only is there some sort of redeeming power the vaccine mm. or the 15 vaccines a year you know the more you do I was just listening to a program of, about pilgrimages this morning of, of mm. all things it was just on the radio whilst I was having breakfast mm. and, and and it's the same concept you know the more you do or the more you pay and they will keep thinking of new things as they need more money they will they will invent new indulgences you can pay and so it becomes a never-ending spiral because the yeah. guilt is ever present. So you're caught in this, you're caught in this everlasting purgatory from which mm. there is no escape. And it's the same with this corona thing. It's beginning to strike me. It's like fighting a war. If you if you decide you want to fight a war, you put yourself a target for what you want to achieve. Because otherwise, what happens is Iraq or Vietnam, where you have no real idea with why you went in there in the first place. I mean, that's all a fabrication or very sort of loose and hence you, and Afghanistan for that matter as well. It's either fabricated or it's done, let's say with good intentions, but, but not really thought through. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years later, you find yourself still wrapped up in this nightmare without an exit. And that's basically what I see the parallel yeah. of what's going on today. What's the exit? I think that, so if we go with, I want to say two things. I think first, mm, I'm going to say two things that contradict each other, <laughs> maybe. But That's good. On the one That's hand, the I think, <laughs> yeah, on the one hand, I'm in a place where I'm very humble in terms of solutions in the sense that I think one of the points of what's going on today is every individual person needs to find his or her individual solution. I think one of the beauties of what is happening going on is that it kind of tends to put every individual person right in the spot where they are faced with their particular existential choice. Do I want to go this way or do I want to go that way? And 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 this is something we should be very humble about. So what is because I don't I can't tell on behalf of another person what is the right what is what is the the exact challenge that this person needs in order to grow as a person? No, and you don't. His, you, and nor do you know his health constitution. So I don't know anything. Are, uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, so there's yeah. there's all that going on. So, so I'm very humble in that sense. And what mm -hmm. I'm what, what I'm trying to do is to look for. So, what is my challenge? What what is it that Corona's kind of asking me to decide on? So that's oh. the one thing. And then, having said that. I'm now going to offer the grand solution, but well, but I think if we go with this go for it. religious thing, what was the solution to the problem that you just uh, sketched before with Catholicism, or should we say one version of Catholicism or one historical? Yeah, because sure. I don't think we need to necessarily blame Catholicism as no, such, no, no, no. just the way it was implemented at a certain point in time. What was the what was the solution for that? It was the Reformation. And what was the Reformation about? It was, the Reformation was about saying, no, 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 salvation 
is not something you have to be, you don't have to look to the priest or the church to give you salvation and forgiveness and all that. It's already in you. And you have a, so you have a direct access to God or Jesus or whatever it is. Um, you have a direct access. So what you just need to do is you just need to kind of ask for it inside of yourself. So you bypass the church and you kind of, that's kind of what Protestantism is about. You can bypass the church and then go directly to God, right? And find it, find the forgiveness. Well, you find it in God or you find it in yourself or some combination of that. Um, and I think that's, it's, for me, it's the solution today is the same. Rather than looking to the institutions to eventually give us the freedom, rather than looking for, oh, I wonder when the vaccine is going to come so I can be free, get my freedoms back. No, that's not. You have it already inside of you, you have, or you have the potential for it inside you. So you just have to access that. Um, so in that sense, I think there's a there's the need there's a need for a, a, some form of reformation in a way. Where we and of course, the reformation. The Reformation, because of that, let's call it degree of uh, freedom of thought that it entails. You, you know, you also have the Gutenberg printing press, you know, exactly. um, yeah. with the translation. So suddenly, you know, you don't have an arbiter between you and, as you say, the direct relationship with God, which in this context is just truth, you know, or, yeah. or how you want to conduct your life relative to your circumstances, which is all different. I mean, that's the beauty that we each have this miracle of a individual mm. life with with personality and, and soul or whatever else it, you want to call it that, that mm. that's so uniquely special the health condition it also varies so people will have different challenges or none and subsequently that uniformity of a one-size-fits-all is is profoundly anti-democratic and is profoundly anti-human i mean even at the biological level it's it's anti-human it's certainly anti-human because the purpose of life is to express life. I, I was listening. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump now, and then hopefully we can bring it back to where we we, we were just now. But um, there's lots of ideas. So there are two, and this is curious, I think, because now we're talking about humans and what it means to be human, and that's essential when you talk about freedom, because those concepts only make sense in a human setting. Uh, it, at least in the terms that we talk about today. So um, there are two great sort of superstar academics today. And uh, one of them is, uh, is uh, Yuval Harari, you know, the Israeli uh, historian, sociologist, anthropologist. <coughs> and the other one is, is a guy called Breakman. And both of those have written these out of nowhere global bestsellers, as if they were writing sci-fi or Nordic noir criminal fiction, right? Um, writing about the history of man and trying to ascertain what is, what does it mean to be human? What is it, what is it that is unique about human beings? And they both have sort of varying perspectives on that. So Harari says it's the storytelling, it's the, it's the capacity to tell stories, because with that, you can amalgamate or assemble large volumes of people to come into cooperative endeavors. You can also, corroboratively, 
use that to have people willingly, self-determinately, so it seems, walk into certain death on a belief system, be it the state, you know, their religion, whatever it is. Bergeron says something, he's got a sort of very optimistic, positive side of it. So he says, the, um, or he's arguing that the, the intrinsic inherent characteristic that sets us apart and differentiates us is the fact that we cooperate. So we are cooperative, um, uh, altruistic um, human beings. Mm -hmm. And with that, we, we make technology, we make laws, we create art and so on and so forth. Uh, he, call it, he calls it not survival of the fit. He's got these sort of great phrases, not the survival of the fittest, but sur survival of the friendliest. Uh, mm -hmm. And not self-determination, but self-domestication. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and he refers to the human puppy, uh, mm -hmm. the, both the flower and, and of course the, 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 the cute little dog that everybody wants to cuddle and, and take care of. And that's, that's kind of, so what I want to say with that is that there is something evident in both of these, that human nature is something that works together, right? And we know that from health experiments as well, not experiments, but health studies as well, that the people who have the most social interaction, they live longer. We know that mm -hmm. arts are created when we get together and, and, and drive our creativity together. We, we learn in, in, in social settings, you know, hopefully there'll be lots of people watching this and, and some degree of knowledge or information or whatever is conveyed, which you, which you then can make use of to the extent that you, you, you want, cognitively or in practice. So, summa summarum, we are collective beings. What is happening today? You are evil. You are sick. If you're not sick, you are a potential sickness. Mm. Isolate. Mm. Don't have human interaction because it's bad for you. Or even more absurdly, because you are such a kind person, suspend all human traits and needs. You have a uniformity of morals, a singular humanism. And whenever you talk about uniformity and singularity in terms of morality, you're on a sidetrack to something very dark. Mm. Because the very essentials of human beings is its multiplicity, its diversity, it's, it's getting together and, and making things out, and it's choosing. You have to choose to be sovereign. You cannot be free if at some level in how you conduct your life, you don't choose. Okay, so let's, I, 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 um, I, I, I want to go along with you, Arnel, I, and it's not that I disagree with it, but I think there's a, the, we can, I think there's two ways you can kind of go with that analysis you just made. The one way is to say, oh, the world is coming to an end, the dark forces are winning, and it's kind of, war. that's the one. Oh, no, and then no. There's maybe, no, 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 I'm, I'm not saying that, you, but that's kind of one way. But there's also a, 
Hegelian solution or Hegelian yeah. like Hegel, like who, who is the yeah who who is the big or he is like the big philosopher of history and of what is it that drives history forward? My favorite philosopher. Idea. Ah, there you go, there you go. Uh, so um, and and so he had this idea of dialectics that history kind of has this dialectic. And, and most people actually, today, we, most people, they kind of, or well, not most people, many people, they come to Hegel through Marx. And with Marx, it was like the class struggle. So that's kind of like, oh yeah, so the classes struggle against each other, and then we have a revolution, and then we have something new. But the way Hegel was thinking about it was more of a, it was more of an ideas clashing, systems of ideas clashing. And then, so the and, and then so the idea is that you have like one set of ideas and then you have the opposite or something and then they kind of clash and then that brings in a new form of uh, and higher state of whatever. I think he uses the terms system. thesis and antithesis, creating a new synthesis, which is an ongoing I, yeah, evolution. I think yeah, I think that, that that's why it, I don't want to. That's actually Kent who says that. That was, you're right. Yeah. yeah, so Kent said that, but it is true. It's one of the ways that we usually kind of talk about Hegel. So anyway, so the what I'm thinking here is we, maybe we could, we could I don't think of these people who kind of want us to do all this kind of stuff as, oh, they are our enemies and we could start going to war with them. But we could also think, ah, wow, they're really doing us a service here. They are really showing us. They are kind of waking us up now mm -hmm. so they are they're kind of showing us by taking things away from us they kind of sort of gradually take can you live without that yes we can can you live without that yes we can can you live mm -hmm. without that yes you can can you also live without that and then we kind of say nah, no now it's and then and then you maybe have like uh, a move towards it so so um, so i think it's as much as I agree with you, I mean, it's not like I like these things, but I think I, I try and kind of think, what is it that this is supposed to bring out in me and in maybe also in society, but uh, um, yeah. And it's kind of coming back to our liberty discussion here. So, and I also, and I think on the one hand, as much as, as much as these, regimes of whatever health vaccine masks all that how on the one hand you can kind of get the sense that it's everywhere and it's totalitarian and so forth and then at the same time my experience is that you just have to dig one centimeter you just have to scratch the surface and, and it crumbles yes when you talk to people when you kind of talk to people and they don't have the mask and you actually are then it's right there, right under the surface. It's Absolutely. all their skepticism, all their liberty, all their everything. It's right there. And and I, I was also thinking, um, so I don't watch, I don't watch, not like by principle, but it's, I just don't watch Flow TV because it's not, it doesn't do good things for me. But then I was it's visiting good, my parents. It doesn't do good things for anybody. <laughs> no, no. But then I was, I was, visiting my parents and they would sometimes watch it. So it would kind of be there in the background. And I was just noticing every time, every single time they turned it on, it was just like, oh, no, uh, uh, new fig, new uh, whatever, uh, 
corona numbers going up, going down, masks, schools, blah, blah. It was just going constantly. And then I was thinking, hmm, you can, that can either be, you can either interpret that as a form of strength or they have the power to kind of control it or weakness. It's a desperation. Exactly. If you have they to repeat, to if you have to repeat something over and over and over again, it's because it's not natural. Now, in order to play the and, piano, and because people, because people are not, yeah. they're not convinced, or they are exactly. It's, it's yeah. So you need to do, 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 do. Hmm. So, um, so I think for me, it's also important to kind of just sustain the not even hope, just like the belief, or that we're moving in the right direction. And I, I, I mean, I good things are, and I, I've learned that from you, Casper. So I'm just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> sending your words back to you. So, uh, you. yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, as you, as you know, I, I wholeheartedly concur. And I think, I think precisely as we were talking about in the beginning, when when something has become pacified for a period of time, whether it's your heart or a muscle or your the concept of liberty, uh, something needs to happen. Um, of a degree of profundity for you to enable you to kind of revisit it again because it's become so distant from the pacification for so long that uh, you've forgotten what it's all about and that's why and that goes for so many things of, in terms of um, values and spirituality and all these sort of very very profound deep meaningful subjects and something very dramatic subsequently needs to happen to, to confront people with these things in order for them to engage with them. Mm. And, and, and another point is, if you then choose that it faced and confronted with this potential danger, let's say, or, 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 or encroachment, Again, it has to be your choice that you fight it. You know, you take it off, you don't mm -hmm. take it, whatever it is. It's not to say it's right or wrong. Different people will, will love the mask and they will have 10 different colored masks and, and wear maybe three of them at the same time. That's great. And others will see it as, you know, the biggest imposition on, on their freedom they've ever experienced. But, but you have to be in a situation where you have to choose in order to be free, otherwise it's meaningless. And, and a choice by almost by definition comes with consequences. There has to be something you let go of or that's difficult for it to be a real choice. There's Stanford University in their philosophy course um, has this uh, sort of uh, symbolic analogy. And it's a guy who drives uh, up to uh, down the road and there's a crossing. There's no traffic, no pedestrians, no nothing, no traffic lights. And there's a fork in the road. And he can go straight or he can take the left and right and he picks the left. It's irrelevant which one he picks. And then there's another fork and he picks the right on the subsequent one. Now, on the surface of it, if you're just honed in on what's going on here, he's making free choices. If you zoom out and that you see that there's blockages around different places of warning signs, then you can see he's kind of guided. If you extrapolate a little bit further and you see that he's a smoker and you know that the cigarette shops lies left than right, 
then suddenly there's a degree of compulsion taking place. And so there are all these subtleties always going on. So for him to be freely choosing, he needs, he, that needs to be consequences with making that choice. It means not smoking or, 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 or walking across because the, 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 the roads are blocked or whatever it is. But it's just to show that choosing and freedom is not so simple because there are so many stratagems Mm. influencing those cultural yeah. conventions and customs and so on. And I think also it, it, to relate this back to our discussion about freedom, I think we've, there's at least this one maybe hedonistic idea of freedom, which is the idea of being able to be free is to be able to do whatever you like without consequences. You could call it vulgar freedom. Now that, we're, yeah. now that now yeah. that we're at Marx. <laughs> yeah. And this is this is something um, or even or you could call it a childish freedom. It's the freedom of the child. And I've been thinking about so as as I said before, my what I've been writing about for the past two to three years is has to do with the men, men and women, uh, and men's work and stuff like that. And I've been thinking about how, I don't know if I'm going too far out on a tangent, but I was thinking no, about, no, no. So the, go, go, go. In, in a sense, the 60, 68, 1968 sort of revolt was in a way that also, I would also say a lot of good things came out of that, but I, okay. I would also say there was, there, was, there was an element of insisting on the right to be a teenager for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So there was this, oh yes, I'm, 55 but i'm still behaving like i'm 15 years old i i insist that all of the options of life are still open to me whatever life whatever life decisions i made before does not restrict me i can have wife number seven if i like to and no one is to tell me that i can't and it shouldn't have any consequences mm. so and then i think what we're seeing what some element we're seeing today within I'm not going to go too far, but that's not the topic, but some of the struggles or some of the things that are going on within this gender space, like, oh, I can be this gender today and then another one on Sunday. And yeah, I, I can choose my own gender. I think that's it's an element of that, which is a struggle for the right to stay a child for the rest of my life. There's something about not wanting to step into adulthood. Mm. Okay. How do we, how, how do you, what, what does it mean to step into adulthood? What does that imply? Um, and this is also something that I've worked with in, within men's work. Uh, so there's this idea of a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. The rite of passage is where the, the, the young boy becomes a man. Mm -hmm. And we see that in primitive societies, some of these things are sort of kind of coming back to us in a modern version. But the idea is that and we see it in fairy tales and, um, and yeah 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 and exactly yeah. yeah 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 and 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 the idea here heroic is tales young, yeah you take the young boy you take him away from his normal like the village and you take him out into the jungle or wherever wherever you are the mountains or wherever it is and then you put him to a num through a number of trials where on the one hand, I mean, he has to endure pain or something, but he also has to make some decisions mm. that has consequences. He, he will be kind of on his own. He's away from his mother. Now you have to make decisions in a world 
where your decisions have consequences. Mm. So you're kind of learning him that. And then once the boy kind of goes through this and becomes a man, then he's in this world where he's, mm, in a way you can kind of say he's more free, but not free in the way of he can do whatever he wants, but in, a, in another way where he's free to, be res- to take responsibility for his own actions. Absolutely. And there's an element in that, which I think is very important, which vis-a-vis some of the other things that we've talked about, which is those are experiences. He has to go out in the world and do things, and he has to feel them on his own body with the consequences that it has. He bleeds, he fights a dragon or whatever, in order to come home as self-realized. And at that point, he's, he's, you know, again, this is sort of Hegelian terms, he's self-actualized. The, the, the idea, the potentiality, which is also very Aristotelian, and going back to Hegel, you know, I don't want to get too academic, but, but this is highbrow and deep diving anyway, but you have this teleological notion of, if not a progression, then at least some degree of, of um, movement through history. Mm. And that goes for your personal life, it goes for a country, it goes for identities, it goes even for laws until they are uh, concretized into a constitution that addresses the most, and I'll get to the point uh, in, a, in a second, and that, that constitution and those developments, if they are to truly be true to, to the spirit as, 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 uh, or the idea, as, as um, mm-hmm. Hegel calls it, with a capital S and a capital I, um, then it has to embrace the recognition, what I call the recognition principle. And the recognition principle is, is embedded within this master-slave relationship. So what he always sees the world as a sort of dynamic of overcoming or growing out of the master-slave relationship. So the, the master doesn't recognize the slave because he's just a tool. Now, look, look, at, look at what's going on in the world today. People are just uh, carriers of diseases. They are tools for infection, tools for manipulation, tools for control. They, they, they don't have an autonomous sovereign being that needs to be taken into consideration in proportionality to the effects that it has relative to the, the, the goals it wants to set, which are undefined, by the way, apropos what we we're talking about with going into war. But this recognition principle is inherently social going back to another point that we are talking about. Recognition only comes from two people discovering one another. The master and the slave can even come to a a resolution where he becomes an employee, for example, but one that is paid and has rights and so on and so forth. And and so that's this actualization and bringing to life. But going back to what you were saying about, you know, the, the, the child becoming a man, those are experiences. And if you're stuck at home and told not to go outside, you're not gonna have any experiences. I.e., following on from what you were saying, you're never gonna grow into an adult. Mm-hmm. You're never going to have that human interaction that, that, that achieves recognition, which fulfills you as a human being and brings about freedom. Mm-hmm. 
I'm just thinking, well, yeah, it's going in many trajectories. Yeah, let's go back to the so, yeah, so we could think of what's happening today as a as a like a big rite of passage mm -hmm. for Absolutely. each of us individually yeah. and possibly also for all of us as as a society. Like we need to kind of and and the thing about and as a human so, as a human species. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the, the thing about these rites of passages that when you design them for for boys, uh, young men, is that you need they need on the they need to be dangerous. Otherwise, they don't. They need there needs to be danger. I think some of some may have seen these there are these movies about or, or film documentary about sort of rites of passage in the Amazons where. They do this prim or not prim they do this original form of bungee jumping. Mm. I, I don't know if you've seen this. No, but I have another one which I'll tell you about. Yeah. Ah, okay. So anyway, there has to be danger there. And, and in primitive societies, some of these boys would die. So they would mm. go out and jungle with 30 boys and then come back with 28. Um, <laughs> so there needs to be danger there, but at the same time, and also even if you come back, you need to be scarred. Mm. So some of these some of these boys would I think there's one ritual where you you knock a teeth out or something like that. So also so that others can see, okay, he's been through the rite of passage. He's kind of had mm. his tooth knock out, knocked out. Um, and and uh, where am I going with this? So, but I think so that so the the place where we're at right now is that this delicate place where. Maybe we're not even. Maybe we're not entirely sure whether we're going to come back intact mm. from this. Is it? It is dangerous. Like, are we going to lose everything? Mm. Are we? Are we all just going to end in FEMA camps or whatever? Mm. Whatever they have cooked up for us. Like, is that where we're going? Or is it going to be? Are we going to be like, oh yeah, now we have liberty. Now we are sovereign. Like, is it go there? We don't know this right now. And and in order for the ritual to work, it's. Um, and then I was kind of, well, I, we're just speculating here, but I, mm -hmm. I was also thinking about, so it's, it's more, it's a little bit more than a hundred years ago, there was World War One, and I think World War One was also in its own right, a uh, rite of passage, right? There was, it was also something that kind of changed a lot of things. Um, and then... I'm kind of thinking. I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm trying to look at the bright sides of the whole Corona thing. Yeah, I can hear that. Talk about World if, War One and knocking teeth out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, no, no. But just, okay. Let's say this. Let's, just, let's try this idea just as a <laughs> hypothesis. Let's say that the one, the ones who have cooked up the this whole Corona, it's not the World Economic Forum or the Illuminati or some other conspiracy. No, it's the world spirit. It's the world spirit that cooked it up, right? That kind of set it all up. And, mm -hmm. and it did it in order to give us an opportunity to grow as individuals and as society. And it did the same thing in the 20th century with World War One and possibly also World War II, which was also like, okay, how are you going to deal with this thing? And then I was thinking, maybe the world spirit has grown a little bit softer since then because rather than like giving presenting us with a real war that actually killed hundreds of millions it's now testing us with a 
a virus that's not dangerous at all. I mean, so you can't, I mean, you really have to, it's not very many people die from it. I think we can, I think that's- Oh, and only people with comorbidities, yeah. Exactly, so, so it's uh, not a dangerous virus. Mm. So so in that sense, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's testing us, but in a way it's testing us in a very safe environment. Mm. Wow. I don't know if this makes sense. It but, does. It's, it's, um, I, I think it's, I think it's so, uh, you're, 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 you're spot on to look at it in those terms. At, at least I think it's, it's very helpful. And this is this thing about finding meaning. Does the world just happen to you? Are you just, a, are you a victim of circumstances? Hmm. Or, and then two responses to that. Or can you see a greater depth and can you can you see behind the scenes? It's like watching a theater play, and it looks extremely mm. convincing, you know. Or, or you're watching a, the set on a Hollywood film. Well, you're watching the film, and then the, the, the camera, you know, pans out, and you see the whole set, and it's it's all just a game. And and it provides depth and understanding, both of the capacity of um, of the actors and and the, in the you know the director and the filmmaker and how they can create this magical world of make-believe that's mm. utterly believable, but also how things look actually. I mean, both are real. So this is the thing. So I want to talk also about the real and symbolism. And I think that's what this whole thing that you were talking about and this time, it's also about for us to understand. We started off with law. What is law? What laws apply? And how do we ensure going forward that the fundamental laws can never ever be eroded? Or if they can, that we at least have some measures of protection in place. I mean, the, the, the constitution in the US, I think is one of the most genius human artifacts ever created. Um, and, it, and it achieves that based on exactly these challenges. Um, but, um, but it is really about distinguishing and differentiating between the make-believe where you only see what's being presented in front of you, but it's always communicated by someone else. Your sovereignty mm. relies upon your ability to take that and measure it against reality and your own truth or your own health, your own um, freedom, right? So they, that to me is sovereignty. So, so there are social facts, you know, now we're getting into postmodernism and that mm -hmm. thing and hermeneutics, but there are social facts which are real. They're not physically real, but conventions, traditions, and customs mm -hmm. are very real. You know, how we cut our hair. Well, it's been two months since I had an eye cut because of these lockdowns, but uh, you know, what, what, what clothes we wear and so on, how we, yeah, how we conduct ourselves. And those, those are very real. There was a brilliant book which was written in response to um, this whole, uh, uh, what's it called, the nihilistic, uh, post-structuralist, post postmodernist thesis, which was always on the doctrine that of the social construction of reality, right? Mm. Everything is socially constructed, intersubjectively created. And there was a couple of people, academics who wrote a book which called this, the, the construction of social realities, so not the social construction of reality, but the construction of social reality. How is it that social reality comes into play? And what is it that determines which things change, which remain in place, and which become preponderant? 
And as you say, if we start looking at the world as a sort of, this is the spirit, you know, teaching us an evolutionary lesson or asking us, you know, mm -hmm. are you a sovereign being? Are you willing to stand up and under no actual real threat, you know, but nonetheless confronts it uh, with these sort of big challenges. I just want to make one, one point about uh, World War One. It's, it's interesting because there are parallels leading up to World War One. When you read the old text, which nobody ever does anymore, they, people just read theory. So they only, so that's another thing. We only read what other people tell us, what to think about a text and never actually read the text. Hmm. Interesting, no? That's how most things are taught today an opinion, a reading of something. So let's just park that one. There's a lot of parking going on. We need a big parking basement. Uh, but, but prior to World War I, there was, um, there was a sort of enthusiasm. The populations were infused with excitement of going to war because they, they felt so bored and pacified and unengaged. And it was like they weren't really alive. They were just going to dance balls in Vienna and big feasts in Paris and the whole thing was turning pretty dull. And here comes this, finally I can go and on a rite of passage, I can go and prove myself, I can prove myself to be a man and all these type of things with devastating consequences because they had no anchoring in, in, in what you, I would call the sanctity of life and the joy of just being alive. I'm just going to go with one of my, you said so many things, which yeah, is brilliant. I'm just going to, I can't take it off, but I will go with my last association. And it's again with this, if we compare this to World War I, and mm -hmm. you said, you can go out to fight a war and prove that you're a man. Mm. Then, and, and you know, my field is men and women. And I think there's something, I was kind of, at, at one point I was playing around with the idea of in the 20th century, what we'd seen was like masculine versions of fascism. And maybe something that we're seeing today is the feminine version of fascism. Absolutely. And, and, and so what we're all, like in World War I, when they went to the trenches, they were, it was like, go out and prove that you're a real man. What we're all asked to do now is go out and prove that you're a real woman. That's what we're all supposed to do. Domesticate yourself. All, <laughs> domesticate yourself. Yeah. Wear a mask so you don't hurt others. Yeah. Take care of everyone. We take care of each other. Blah, blah, blah. All this care, 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 care. Oh. Um, that's what we all... So we're all being asked, go out and prove you're a real woman. And I will say, as much as... I mean, of course, <laughs> World War I made... Had its own sort of place in history and made sense. and that. But there was also elements of something that was meaningless. Like, you don't... Well, or... Proving yourself as a man by going into trenches and just blindly killing other men is not a good and healthy way of proving. It's not. That's not. That's not a good way of becoming a man. There are I other ways of doing I, it. I, 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 I agree. <laughs> yeah, that's not the way. And I will say the same thing: wearing a mask and domesticating yourself and doing all these all these things is also is not a good way of becoming a woman. There's something, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going in, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of in the outer zones of my- No, I think, I think it's a brilliant- here. But, but, but I will say one, one more thing. Mm. 
that is at play here. So what is what 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 does it mean to? I, I will say this. I, mm -hmm. My book is specifically about being a man. Mm -hmm. So I, I normally just think of myself as an expert, or in, to the extent I'm an expert in the field of men, and I try not to say too much about uh, women. But I will say one thing: what I find, what be, what what is being a woman? What is that about? It's about life. They can give life. They have this amazing gift that they can give life. And where do we see life? What is, well, of course, life is like giving birth to a new baby. But what is also life is also breathing. Mm. It is like the most significant manifestation of life is breathing. So you breathe in, you breathe mm. life in, and you breathe out. That's how we can feel life. It's also, if you want to check that someone is, someone is dead, one of the ways you can... You can test whether the heart is beating, but you can also test, are they breathing? Is he breathing? Mm. No, he's not breathing. Then he's dead. Okay. What is going on in this crisis is that, or situation, is that breath itself is becoming something toxic. So we have, we've talked about toxic masculinity. Mm. Mm. Now this is toxic femininity. We're making the breath, the life breath, we're making that as if it's toxic. Mm. Something we have to guard ourselves against. That's that. That is as it is as wrong or as absurd as putting men into trenches and putting. Yeah, that's just. Uh, and one one I would say of all the heartbreaking stories I've heard uh, in this Corona, the thing that breaks my heart, or it doesn't break it, but hurts my heart the most mm. the most is are the stories about babies mm. who look at their mother mm. with a face mask mm. to me that's the the cruelest mm. image of this whole situation is that image mm. it's it's just uh it's the worst. It's uh, yeah. It's I, I get all rude. It's the worst. Um, I'm the same. I get shivers down my spine when even putting that image in front of me. Um, especially yeah. because you know, again, plenty of scientific medical studies show the importance of a baby looking at its mother's face and how no, much. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I will stop you. No, no, okay. I will stop you. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. However, mm -hmm. even starting to look to science mm -hmm. for evidence of that yeah, yeah, is yeah. going the wrong way. I, I agree. I, I, I'm with you. It's, we don't need scientific studies no. to know. We know that as no. human beings. No. We don't need studies. Again, we just need our natural experience of the world. Yeah. So, um, and, 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 and uh, this is the difference between deep natural knowingness and embracing it rather than a synthetic let's say temporary medical version and that changes all the time science changes constantly you know we we revise medicine and, and studies also, I think, and, yeah and i think it's i'd like to i know you agree with it i think there's a i think i would like that this the whole this so what has happened to the whole discussion about corona is that it's, it's become 
scientificized in a sense. Mm -hmm. it's, it's all about science. It's all about numbers. It's all about studies. It's all about mm -hmm. this. It's all about that. Um, and again, that kind of, it was a little bit the same with, I think we've seen similar developments within economics. Mm -hmm. There was this idea that if, if you if you can't run and if you can't build an is um, um, dynamic stochastic general equilibrium yeah. DSG, equilibrium if you can, yeah. yeah if if you can't build a DSG model you can't say anything about the economy which just means that the vast majority of people can't say anything about the economy mm -hmm. and it's the same here if you if you can't run these tests that if you da, 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 you, you, you're not entitled to have an opinion about this. And I think it's, no, I, dis I disagree in the realm of economics and I disagree here. We yeah. all have our experience of the world where we kind of have a, a gut feeling of what's mm. right and wrong. And, 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 and we should, it's not the same as we should always go with that, but it shouldn't be like just completely uh, disqualified from the get go. And just to take that, I mean, I, I, as you know, I completely agree, but just to take the absurdity one step further to the extreme, then neither in economics nor in the case of Corona does the science even apply. Because we know the, we, you know, everybody knows that what anybody has been taught the previous 40 years in economics has absolutely zero, I mean, this is my field, has zero yes. application to how the world actually operates. Nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, the, you know, the, the idea of rational actors and, and a vacuum and, and interest rates determining, I mean, the mm -hmm. whole thing is absurd and has, has never ever, I mean, this is gonna come as a shock. We'll do that in a separate program, but this will come as a shock to many people in, on, who think of economics, that the ones who've got the least intelligence to say about economics and financial markets mm -hmm. are economists. I mean, they are profoundly wrong because they're educated in something that has zero relevance to, to, to what is mm -hmm. actually going on in, in economics. You could argue the same is true of politics, except studying you know, law and political institutions and so on and so forth, decision-making. But this is also true, of course, in in this big topic that overwhelms us today, um, which is everybody knows, you know, the death rates are what they are, infection rates are, of, you know, you have to get tested to see if you have a disease. I mean, it's, it's the first disease I think ever in history where you need like 15 tests a day to determine if you're sick because you have no symptoms. And 49% and of them because of the cycle that they're running on the PCR test is, is, is a false positive, you know? So all these things are scientific facts, but they are overlooked. So the irony is that even if you apply the science, it doesn't hold up. So everything is based on assumptions, probabilities, perhaps, but ifs, maybes. Yeah, I, so I wanna say two things. Um... The first one is, I think, I mean, I actually think that within the field of economics, something has changed since the financial crisis. I think the monopoly of economists on having this sort of privileged knowledge about the economy is, it's not gone, but it's not, it's not in the same place as it was 10 years ago. 
Mm. That's my experience. So, and that's a good thing. So I think a lot of more like sort of regular, ordinary people kind of trust their own instincts in terms of the economy. I think that's actually the case. So some of this sort of high priest status of economists has eroded. And I think that's a good thing. Mm. What then puzzles me is that some of the same people and they can be on the left or the right, but it's, I don't know. It's for some reason, the ones I've noticed anyway, on the left, who will agree, yeah, uh, economic models, they have nothing to do with reality. And of course we can forecast and no, 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 we should da, 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 da. So it will be all about that. And the economics profession is corrupt and all that. They will kind of go along with it. And then comes a guy in a, you know, like a, a doctor suit and so here's a graph of how, and then they're like, oh yeah, okay. And then they clap their uh, feet and say, yes, now we will march. And I'm like, have you learned nothing? Why do you, <laughs> why do you, why is it that, okay, so we have this one class of professional economists and yeah, you kind of agree. And then you have this other, which is one is, it looks a lot like it. And yet they are like faultless. I don't understand this. And I will say, and it's not even rhetorical. I really don't understand. I, some of these pe people, like when I was on Twitter, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but when I was on Twitter, I would kind of see them. I would be following them because like I kind of shared their view on economics. And then this other crisis comes around and they're like, yes, boom. And now we, science tells us. And, then, and I'm like, what, where did that come from? I don't understand that. Um, but that's, that's exactly where you get into these um, uh, I call it name calling, you know, so you say you're a bad person or you're putting people in danger. So if you don't have this, I mean, nobody wants to engage with the science and, and it's, it's been revealed now virtually all over the place. Again, I don't want to turn it into a Corona discussion, but it's just important in the context of what we're talking about here with regards to, you know, systematic control and, and make believe and all these things and, and, and freedom. But you, um, you have a situation where they don't want to engage in all the minutiae and the details of the science. Because once you do that, it actually becomes apparent to everybody, actually it doesn't really hold up. So the one that you then rely on is, yeah, it's the maybes. And what if we didn't? And maybe it's better if we do, but at least maybe if we just save one life, from this, and then of course you can ask the question: Why, why, why do you ever allow yourself to yes. sit in the car and switch on the engine? I, 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 but, yeah. but one one note on that, and, and so you get witch hunts and name calling, you know, and and Socrates had a, had a very famous phrase on this, where he where he says, when the debate, debate is lost, then slander becomes the uh, the tool of the um, of the loser. I'm going to throw a Hegel back at you right yeah, now. Yeah, bring him on. Think about this. What mm -hmm. if it's like this? What if, the, not the greatest, but a big hit? What if, here's my idea. I think it would be a catastrophe if the outcome of this crisis was that eventually some scientists who like argue against like the established science, but say, no, this is not so dangerous. Lockdowns don't work, masks don't work. We can all go back to work and we can, and then everyone was to say, and then it would kind of shift and, and people would say, oh yeah, that's true, they are right. These 
these experts were wrong, these experts are right, yeah. now we can all go back to work. Yeah. I think that would be a catastrophe. Why? Because then we would lose out on the opportunity of liberty that we started with, or freedom. Yeah. We need to, we don't just need some other experts to say something else. No, we need to come back to ourselves and say, well, I look at this and I hear this guy, I hear this guy, and then I feel this, and then I have this. I'm going to go this. I'm going to do this. That's kind of where we want. Then in order for, and only through that can we redeem like the historic potential in this situation. So it's not to say, of course, I, I mean, Maybe they're not so relevant here what group of scientists I agree with because I'm not, not that kind of a scientist anyway. But, but, but for, for me, the, the, the liberty part is more important. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where we should. So we, we shouldn't let ourselves, or maybe some people should, or at least I share. Maybe I should just take it home. For me, I don't want to get involved in those discussions about numbers anymore because mm -hmm. it's not about numbers for me. It's about life. And uh, yeah, in, in, in a different way uh, where, yeah, I don't need to go into these numbers because when I do already, even if I go into the number game on the other side, I'm still playing sort of their game. Yeah, I see, uh, I know exactly what you mean. And then, uh, and then you're away from, you know, what you would call the, the, the true truth, what, what, you, what you know and your, yeah. and your, your freedom to, to act and, and, and live your life accordingly. Yeah. yeah. I think we should start wrapping it up. You don't want yeah. to test your uh, audience. I think I, I'll finish with quotes. one quote because I've always been sort of taught, even though I've never done any media in my life, but I've always been taught that you should finish a lecture or anything like that with a quote and uh -huh. let it hang. And this is one of the founding fathers who, who I think is absolutely, uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, a guy called Patrick Henry. I don't, he's, he's sort of one of the lesser knowns amongst the founding fathers. He was from Virginia. Very interesting guy, self-taught, uh, which I think there's also something useful to note about. Um, and he had, a, he, had a, he had a deep suspicion of centralized government. He, he was very afraid of it because he knew, you know, mm -hmm. institutions and people corrupt and interest groups form and so on and so forth. And he said, we've talked about having a constitution that protects and he said, the constitution is not an instrument for the government to restrain the people. Rather, it is an instrument for the people to restrain the government. Isn't that good? It is. And with that, should we leave it? I want to show, I want to do some, uh, what, what do you call it, product placement. I want to show people my book. <laughs> yeah, 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 go for it. I know it's a little you bit show all out the of the yeah, no, no, no. I'll just show this one. Can you see it? Yeah. And it's yeah. great. I've read it. The meaning of being a man. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I should have probably put it in the middle. But, uh, and now I screwed up your you ending. Should, you, should have them. you should have them. I mean, this is what people do whenever you see now everything is, is soon. Yeah, people, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It should be, yeah. should be placed in yeah. the back. I should have done that. I'll do that next time. But, uh, so, thanks, Ola. Kevin. It was a pleasure. Uh, it's <laughs> been really immense. Fun. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we're going to get to... And I think we should... And if, if, any, if any listeners have made it all the way to the end here, I should, they should also be credited for their patience. Uh, bravo. I know, I know myself. I mean, I like to talk. You can hear that. And so, but I'm, I'm coming 
to I'm becoming more and more humble towards and grateful to people who actually uh, give a listen. So uh, yeah, so um, yeah, I just wanted to end with that. So thank you to to everyone who's has endured for this long. <laughs> Du har lyttet til en podcast fra Free Observer. Hvis du ønsker mere viden om Free Observer eller ønsker at foretage en donation, kan du gå til vores hjemmeside freeobserver.org eller følge os på Facebook under Free Observer.